Copycat, let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 21st episode of Crime Over Wine, the only podcast with head-scratching true crime stories that are just better over a bottle of wine. I'm your host, Liam Collins, and this week, my guest co-host is a fellow native New Yorker, and we're going to claim her as that alone, because, like, duh, obviously, why not? <laughs> my guest co-host this week is Angela Poffenbaugh. Hello, Angela. How are you? <laughs> Hi, Liam. I'm so excited to be here. I'm doing awesome, and... 21 episodes. We're legal now. Like, that's so 21. exciting. The, crime number one is legal to drink. Oh, my God. You know what that deserves? What? That deserves a bottle of wine. Uh, we deserve a bottle great. of wine for that. Yep, I agree. So first, let me introduce you to, to the to the crime vineyard. So <laughs> Angela and I first met as reporters right here, where I am, and where Angela is, too, right now in Chattanooga. She actually, like, trained me, y'all, when I first moved here. <laughs> and now she's working communications through the company lab, which helps start up businesses right here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, our lives have changed so much, Liam, since we first oh met each gosh, other, yes. because we we were waking up at like 2 33 in the morning on Saturdays uh-huh. and Sundays when we met each other oh and Don't we were just me. struggling so hard and now we're like getting eight hours of sleep and having so much fun drinking wine on a podcast. <laughs> I don't know about eight hours, but, like, I'm definitely getting more sleep than when I was waking up at 2.30 a.m. on a Saturday. And I'll tell you, Angela, I don't know if I've told you this story, but I'm going to tell you anyways. Um, the My lowest point of waking up for that um, weekend morning shift um, was when I was getting up and I was leaving for work, and I noticed that one of the sorority girls who live in my apartment complex was coming home for the night. Um, and that was when I was like, yeah, like, this can't happen anymore. I was like, it was a low point for me for sure, so. Yeah, it, it's weird to drive past bars and see people doing last call yeah. or leaving bars as you're going into yeah. work. It's very surreal, yeah. like Alice in Wonderland. Didn't like that. No. Yeah, did not like that at all. So um, Angela had a 
bit of a request for her appearance in this episode. She wanted to pick out our wine of the week. So obviously I had to let Angela do that because like she's Angela Poffenbaugh. So Angela, I'll let you introduce our wine. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm such a wino and I really wanted to find a fun one. So I actually went to the Seafood Festival. It was their first ever one in Chattanooga and they had free wine tastings. So I tried multiple wines. I kept your preferences in mind, Liam. You like dry wines. I'm also a dry girl. Um, And I found this phenomenal Chardonnay. So this is called Tempest. It's technically made from a California grape, but the winery that sells it and distributes it is called Broken Anchor Winery. And they're about an hour and a half south-southwest-ish near Atlanta from Chattanooga. And Liam, I also thought this was really fitting for you. Uh, They named their wine Tempest after their dog. The owners did. And you're a dog dad. And they were just like, we just love our dog so much. We just wanted to name our most popular (laughs) wine after him. Listen, I love three things. You know this about me. I love my crime. I love my wine, and I love my my uh, rescue pups. Aww. So, like this is this is like that in a in a bottle too. So I'm looking at the back too. So it is with hints, and I'm gonna start opening it because like I don't want to waste one single extra second Same. So, without drinking this. So um, I'm looking at the back, and it says um, hints of ripe pineapple, mango, and vanilla, which is like super crazy i've never heard of pineapple in a wine before so i'm really interested to see how that how they incorporate that yeah they didn't even tell me that when i bought the bottle and asked them for the description (laughs) because i said i'm going on a wine crime podcast Um, but what they did say is that it is a really unique flavor but even though it has all these fruity citrusy tastes in it um it's really not super sweet that's what they liked about it it's it's pretty dry for those dry wine lovers but it's not overly dry either well, we're about to find out, I think, because I think of Chardonnay, like, I think of, like, oaky Chardonnays, like, buttery, and so I'm wondering how they're gonna, like, incorporate that in with the pineapple and mango, because that's, those are some, like, very different flavors there. <laughs> well, I appreciate you letting me choose the wine. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you for doing that. Thank you for wanting to do that, and cheers to you. Thank you for wanting to come on the podcast. Cheers. So happy to see you. Okay, now that you said pineapple, I kind of taste it. Wow. <laughs> oh, I definitely taste the pineapple, and it's really good, y'all. <laughs> that is some good pineapple wine right there. It's good. And like I said, it's citrusy, but it's not, like, too sweet, which I really like. It's a good summer wine. It is a really good summer wine. I'm trying, And now I'm, like, trying to, like, each sip, I'm like, okay, do I taste pineapple? Do I taste... Um, do I taste mango? Do I taste vanilla? And like the answer is yes to all three. But it's also like with all those flavors too, like you're getting the very traditional oaky, buttery Chardonnay flavors too. So it's really a like a very fascinating blend of stuff that you got going on here. <laughs> but it's like still a Chardonnay, like to its core. Yeah, like 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 chicken, I feel like. You know, if you like mm-hmm. pineapple and chicken, this is the perfect wine to oh, pair yeah. some chicken. Oh yeah. I am going to give this I'm gonna give this two thumbs up here, guys. Like I if you <laughs> guys are in, you know, Ackworth, Georgia, this is a winery that you're gonna wanna check out because I it's so it's called oh, it's wait, bottled by Miramont Estate Vineyards in London, California for broken anchor winery in Ackworth, Georgia. Okay, so if you're in California or Ackworth, Georgia, this sounds like the kind of wine you, you're you going to want to at least try out because there are some really fascinating <laughs> flavors in there that I'm really, really into. Yeah, and the Georgia winery supports veterans too, so you're supporting mm-hmm. veterans mm-hmm. and you're supporting locals, so three in one. Love that. <laughs> yeah, you got it all. You got it all. So, Angela, let's transition now over to the story because, man... 
oh man, like I went into such a rabbit hole researching this one. Um, and so I just need to talk about it. I need to. <laughs> I'm so ready. I'm so excited. So Angela, this week's story is a true head scratcher. And it's another one of those stories that needs your attention right now, wherever you're listening to this podcast. A five-year-old girl seems to vanish within minutes and hasn't been seen since. This week, Angela, I want to tell you the story of Summer Wells and the open basement door. Angela, this week we're going to start our story not too far from where we are both sitting right now. We are going to travel to Hawkins County, Tennessee. It's just west of Johnson City and a little more than an hour northeast of Knoxville. Five-year-old Summer Wells, her mother Candace, and her grandmother are just finishing up planting some flowers and some pots in the backyard on the evening of June 15th, 2021. Almost two years ago, exactly from when you all will be listening to this episode. And although Summer is planting flowers with her mother and grandmother, that doesn't sum up her personality, like, really at all. You're probably picturing, you know, this very wholesome, traditional, you know, young girl. That is not Summer, y'all. Summer's mother describes her as the true boss of the boys, the one who truly runs the house, filled with her mother, father, and three older brothers. She's a tough, rambunctious little girl filled with energy who truly marched to the beat of her own drum. And in that respect, Summer, I can only imagine is just like any other five-year-old girl I've ever met. The, she truly just tries to hog up all of the attention and succeeds at it every single day. Easy to do for mommy and daddy's little girl. I like that, though, that she's a little kick-butt girl and she likes to mm-hmm. put her foot down in the world. I can yeah. re- I can relate. She tries to make her mark. And that, listen, like, I'm one of four. Like, I have one sister, too. Like, she's the oldest. But, like, you know, I know that that's not easy. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I, like, so good for her. Seriously good for her for, like, no, like, no one right up right, really easy um, early on in her life that, like, nope, like, I'm in charge. I call the shots and y'all are going to have to listen to me. So, like, you go, girl. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like she's very uh, confident. You know, she has a lot of a lot of certainty, even though she is so young. So I'm curious to see where this story goes since is revolving around her because she doesn't sound like shy and scared and and timid, you know? No, not at all. But Summer decides that she's done planting flowers and she wants to go inside to play with her three older brothers. And Candace agrees. Candace walks Summer to the back patio door to get Summer to wash her hands. When they get inside, Candace tells her other sons to watch Summer and Candace goes back outside to finish the job. And then she says that she goes on a short walk. When Candace gets back to the house, just a few minutes later, she asks the boys where Summer went, to which they reply that she went downstairs to play with some of her toys. So Candace calls Summer to come upstairs, but there was no answer. That's super strange to Candace, because Summer always at least acknowledges her when she calls to her, so she calls out again. But there's still no answer. At this point, she goes downstairs to the basement to check on Summer, but she is nowhere to be found. That's so interesting. First off, she literally goes on a short walk, and it sounds like it was no more than, like, what, five or ten minutes? I have no idea. But a short walk, I assume, like, that doesn't leave a lot of time to, I don't know, like, just take someone and not leave any evidence, you know? I don't know. It's yeah. Weird. Listen, like anyone who knows who listens to this podcast like knows my infamous side eye. Like this is my first side eye. And like <laughs> I really don't know 
what to make of this walk because there's also some like in some stories that I read there were like references to this walk but in other stories there weren't and so mm. I'm wondering like where the miscommunication came from like maybe she never even said that she went for a walk like maybe that was just a narrative that just like got out there and like even if like if she does go for a walk like I, I'm just I guess I'm just wondering like what was the point of that like five minute walk when like again we're gonna get to like what happens like in this five minute walk but like like it just it feels like a very like weird time that like this like it's a very short period of time for like something very very bad to happen and like she's just on a walk yeah so you may not know the answer to this question but was there someone to like verify that she was on a walk like can someone back up her story well so again like we like i saw like mixing like signals as to whether or not she was actually on a walk like in some stories like she was on a walk in some stories she was just outside like planting flowers so like and again remember grandma's still there um and i don't know if don the um summer's dad is at the house at this point um but like it like the the whole story kind of like comes together at some point but again there's just like mixed messages kind of coming from like how the whole story kind of came into place I don't know. It just, again, it just feels like this is, like, such a, an important period of time for us to be, like, really just not be, like, 100% sure about what happened here. So, yeah, I just have a lot of questions. A lot. So, Candace calls out for her husband, Don, to come help her. And when Don gets downstairs, she sees the same thing that Candace sees. An empty basement and no sign of Summer at all. But he does note something to police later on, though. He notes that the basement door is wide open, and they both assume that that must have been how Summer was able to exit the house somehow. Okay. Um, Okay. Interesting. The basement door was open. Um, And from what I saw, Summer on, like, their their bio on her website for her missing, she's a pretty short little five-year-old. Like, could she have reached the door handle? Oh, I don't... I mean, it's possible she could have reached it, but, like, I don't know... I feel like she probably could have reached it, but I don't really know for sure, like, how, like, a five-year-old knows. Well, I don't know. I'm trying to, like, put myself in her shoes, because I think she probably she could probably figure out how to open the door, but it's also really unclear as to whether or not, like, the door was already open, or, like, did mm. she open the door, or did somebody else open the door? So, like, that's kind of where I'm at. On yeah, the, the website that her family made for her, or whoever made it for her, the one for Summer Wells, says she's three feet tall. So three feet tall is, like, kind of reaching a door handle, but I don't think, I don't know. Anyways, just... Putting putting that out there. Well, so Don and Candace run out of the basement door, screaming out for Summer, but there's no trace of her there either. So they call police around 6.30 that night to report her missing. So police show up and look around the home and see what Don and Candace are seeing, a practically untouched house outside of that open basement door. But there's no sign of Summer. So right away, they deploy a massive search effort for this beautiful little five-year-old girl. They're using canines, aerial support, and swim teams. And that night, police issue an endangered persons alert. Okay, endangered persons alert. Dumb question, but how is that different from an Amber Alert. Not a dumb question at all, Angela. It's (laughs) a little bit more generic, though. An Endangered Persons Alert covers a wide range of possible situations to any age of person, whereas an Ambler Alert is specifically for child abduction. So I think that does tell you a lot about what the initial thought was behind Summer's disappearance, but police do eventually issue a statewide Ambler Alert the next day, which automatically triggers the FBI to get involved. I think we got that Amber Alert because we are both in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I remember that. 
Oh, I sure do. Yeah. And so police from across the state and even agencies from Kentucky, Virginia, North Carolina descend upon Ben Hill Road to start this massive search for Summer Wells. 1,100 volunteer and paid searchers end up showing up to Hawkins County, and that doesn't even include the police officers from more than 100 different agencies. And as that search went on, I wanted to know a little bit more about where this search was taking place. So I actually asked a friend for help. You may remember Ashley Boley from episode 14, the Terrapsita Bossa case. She used to be a reporter at WVLT, the CBS affiliate in Knoxville, and she covered this case for weeks. And so I asked her to describe a bit about where the Wells family home was and what it was like in the surrounding area. The area where Summer Wells lived was very rural. It was so rural that when I got off the interstate to go toward the family's home in the Beach Creek community, I would pass a gas station close to the interstate. And it took about 20 to 30 minutes down rural, windy roads to get to her family's home. It was out in such a rural area that there was nothing but land out there. You didn't pass a school. You passed a couple churches, but otherwise no grocery stores, no post offices, nothing. The area of her family's home was mountainous and filled with thick brush, really dense. Each day, different Agencies who were searching for her would describe how thick and jungle-like this mountainous forest was that they were combing through, looking to find any clue of summer. It was quiet out there. You couldn't hear sirens, anything that sounded like you lived in a city. Um there was nothing that that made you feel like you had close access if there were an emergency. No hospitals, nothing nearby. You can think a little bit like farmland, but more of a mountainous, rugged terrain that was steep and vast. Okay, so my first thought is there's no way a little five-year-old could just run away. Like, obviously, it's not a runaway child situation. Um, and, you know, two, if Candace was gone for five minutes, someone theoretically came in through the basement door, snatched Summer, and took her, it sounds like it's pretty hard to run away and leave no evidence going through a brush, essentially. Um in that short of a time period. And it also sounds like there's not much noise. So like if Summer screamed or something, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, there's a lot of questions after hearing that description. Yeah. Well, so yeah, I think you bring up some really good points and like, you know, especially because the reason I wanted to hear about like kind of where she like kind of have someone who like has been there describe this, this home and like the surrounding area is because I like kind of like, I guess I wanted to give like some, some, you know, um, understanding of like, like what you know of course what searchers you know uh, you know these crews are, are dealing with and looking for her but also to think about like what a like what a little girl like be running through like be running through that you know what i mean like that's kind of where my mind goes is like 
I like like sure like I could see like maybe a little bit of an adventure, but like this sounds dangerous. Like this sounds like you know this terrain like does isn't necessarily something that like you even you and I you know adults would would go through and like feel safe. No, like, I would imagine like all sorts of wildlife is out there, and so it just doesn't it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't really feel like this is like and like sure like five years old you don't know what the like what kind of dangers the world's like the world holds holds like sure, but. It still, it still feels like there is like a certain level of like, like, like scaredness still to that. Like a little, so like my, like again, like just hearing Ashley describe that, I'm like, I don't see a little girl wanting to be out there and not feeling immediately terrified. Yes. And you and I have also covered stories of like hikers or adults that get lost in terrain mm-hmm. like that because Tennessee has, you know, that beautiful landscape. Yeah, right. Um, but that being said, with 1100 volunteers and all those police officers, yeah. just how would they not find a runaway little five-year-old, yeah, at some point, you know? Yeah, that's exactly where my mind was going, too. It was like, if if this is really what happened to her, that she just ran out the door and, like, went on an adventure, like, at some point, like, even if, like, frankly, even if, like, the worst happened, right? Like, some sort of animal got to her, like, you find some trace of that. And yeah. so the fact that, like, we are, again, like, spoiler alert, like, two years out from like, where, like, when, when this all happened and we still have not found a single trace of summer, like, that is, like, that is a red flag to me all over the place. Mm-hmm. But then on the same token, too, like, this kind of terrain, like, it, like, assuming we're talking about somebody who, like, you know, came and took her, like, like, what, like, I, like, how, how can they get away with no trace either? Yeah, and, like, also with, like, this teeny tiny little window and, like, why that house? You know, like, you hear about kids getting, you know, snatched in crowded areas. You don't hear ki- about kids getting snatched in these, like, super remote parts of the country where, like, nobody can hear you scream. Right. And it makes me th- think that it's either someone who already knew the terrain, knew the land, knew the layout, mm-hmm. essentially, almost, so they could make it very quick. Because, let's be honest, if you or I went in that terrain and tried to run away after our dogs in the brushes, we'd be yeah. fumbling, we'd be bloody, we'd be oh, crying. Yeah. Like, it's it's nothing for a stranger. Something. Yeah. Yeah, you would have found, you know, a piece of clothing. Like, you would have found something by now, you know? Right. And so it's just, like, it just gives me all sorts of red flags. And so, you know, kind of like what we're, like, you and I are thinking, right? At this point, um, Angela, you know, right away, Don and Candace assume the worst has happened to their daughter. They say it just isn't like her to wander off on her own, saying flat out that they think that Summer was abducted. But that begs an obvious question, right? By who? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All while police officers are scouring through the woods and remote areas where the Wells family lives, even using dive teams to search through nearby water sources, investigators eventually get a pretty good tip. State investigators say publicly that a person who travels through the area regularly for his job said they saw a red Toyota pickup truck on the evening of either June 14th or June 15th. So investigators put out a notice asking for the driver of this red pickup truck to come forward for them. They said, 
that the truck had a full bed ladder rack along with white buckets in the truck bed. Now, police say they don't believe this driver is a suspect necessarily, but just simply a possible witness. They think the driver of this truck may have seen something in the area that night that may help them find Summer Wells and or the person responsible for taking her. Okay, so interesting and also very hopeful because you said it's a very rural area. So, you know, you know, and again, we've covered these areas here in our part of the woods of Tennessee, and it's hard to find eyewitnesses. It's really hard in those rural areas. And this kind of like specific like thing, like like very rural area. So it's like I can't imagine there are a ton of trucks that match that description. So like you said, yeah, very good news here. Yeah, because these populations are small. Like when in these rural towns, they really do. You mean like rural towns? And again, like it's just everyone knows everyone. It's that very small town culture. So that's very, very optimistic that it's a red Toyota or a red pickup truck um, because it's like, great, like who are the three people that own a red pickup truck in town, you know? Right. Right. Well, and like they talked about like um the the full bad ladder rack. And so they they even put out like pictures of this truck obviously, like or like what the truck possibly looked like. Um so like that I again, like there just can't be a lot of people in this like, you know, in um Hawkins County, Tennessee that have this. So I'm, you know, yeah. So this just feels like a this feels like a good tip. Yeah, but it's also too like I'm wondering about this other guy who like travels through the area a lot. Like, right. Like, what do they think? Of him? I was like, is yeah. is that guy alone? Like someone they should ask more about? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Who? Yeah. But okay. So but they know the truck. Okay. So they they have a good description. So I assume they're able to find the driver. Correct. Well, no, Angela, unfortunately. The driver of this red Toyota pickup truck never comes forward even to this day. And it is kind of odd because, sure, like, this is Tennessee. I'm sure there are a lot of red Toyota pickup trucks on the road. But like we said, like, a very specific description in a very rural part of the state. So how could the driver of this truck not know police were talking about them and come forward to share what they know? Like, that alone, to me, screams that this is probably our guy. Yeah, or he has to know something going on. Because, again, like, if you see it going on, and there's no way you could have missed it. Again, we're hours away in yeah. Chattanooga, and we knew about this when it was starting to blow up. Yeah, so true. Um, again, like, the Amber Alerts go to everyone's phone, and nowadays, right. everyone has a cell phone. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, why would you not want to come forward and say... I drove by, I didn't see anything. Like, that's just, that's so weird. Well, and to me, again, like I said, like, that to me, like, either says, like, this is the guy who's who's probably responsible, like, probably a suspect or at least a person of interest of some kind. Or my other thought here is, like, made up. Like, I, like, maybe this, like, driver or this truck never even existed. Like, that's Mm. another possibility. I never even thought about that angle. But yeah, it could be someone that doesn't even exist. I mean... I want to know if people went around the town and said, do you know someone that owns a red Toyota pickup truck? And if town mm-hmm. people were like, oh, totally. Oh, sure. Or they were like, what? And you know what's crazy is because, like, I remember, like, be- like when I was early enough in my career, like, because this happened, like, right as I moved to Chattanooga, right? And so, like, I was early enough in my career and I was in the newsroom and I picked up a f- and I got a call, like, right as they released the, the the description of this truck. And I, like, so- like from people, again, down here in Chattanooga saying, oh, I saw someone with, with a red pickup truck. And I was like, 
at the time I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, okay, like, I don't really understand like what, what was going on. Cause I didn't really know the story all that well. Like I wasn't following it. Like I didn't know the area. And so now I'm like, oh, like this, like cl- clearly had enough reach that like people like, again, two, three hours away were like, th- were had an eye out for a pickup truck. So point being to what we were just talking about, like, like the, this person who was driving the red pickup truck, assuming that they exist, like d- doesn't watch the news, like doesn't know they're looking for a person with a red pickup truck. Like you would think that like, if you frequent Hawkins County, Tennessee that, and you drive a red pickup truck that you, and you, you heard that that's, is, that they're looking for that person. Like you would at least want to like come forward and be like, Hey, by the way, it wasn't me. Yeah. Th- these small towns are tight. Like everyone knows everyone. Yeah. And if someone goes missing, those small towns rally together so freaking hard. Mm-hmm. That's just so not, that's just so out of character. That's really suspicious. Yeah, very suspicious. And police really have nothing to go off of at this point. They are even asking the public, neighbors in the area, to look through surveillance video that they may have or trail cameras. Anything that may point them in a, even a general direction of where Summer may have gone. And it's around that time that something happens that probably points police in a totally different direction. And in my personal opinion, totally rightfully so. In July, just about a month after Summer went missing, the State Department of Children's Services takes custody of Don and Candace's other three boys. Interesting. Interesting. Because usually when the Department of Children's Services takes someone's kids, it means they've been watching that family for a little bit. Like, there's been, like, warning signs, right? Yeah. Or something crazy happens, right? Like, yeah. I mean, because, like, and we're going to get to, like, what may or may not have happened in just a second. But, like, you know, for example, like... Well, let me let me not even get there because I, I can't <laughs> even talk about it without like giving it with this next part away. So let me just get to the next part. Okay. So D- DCS never says why, and neither do Don and Candace. Really, Don at one point alludes to it potentially being tied to like a really drunken incident at the home on the podcast Jay's for Justice, but that even that is like not totally one hundred percent clear. But it's still odd, right? I mean, clearly something serious had to have happened, assuming that this is totally unrelated to Summer's disappearance. Or maybe they suspect some, uh, them of something a little more nefarious. So to be clear, there is nothing in the source material that backs this up for me. But I do think it's possible that police see Don and Candace as potential suspects in Summer's disappearance at this point. And like, clearly you can't leave any more children in the care if that is their suspicion here, right? I mean, if this is true. It clearly toes the line of so much proof that we can push to remove their children from their care, but not enough proof to arrest them for it, right? Yeah, and I never thought of that reasoning of they could be suspects in the case, but that would make a lot of sense if they're slowly building a case against the parents. Mm-hmm. That is really interesting, and honest, oh, man. Again, if we're going off on this rabbit hole here, like, that to me says, like, like you suspect them that much that you're willing willing to do this but but like you know but you just can't prove it yet you know what i mean for whatever reason whatever they have like they have enough evidence this because if they are truly victims in all of this like why would you re-victimize them by taking the rest of their children away yeah you know what i mean so like you have to have and like i can't imagine like i don't know enough about this drunken incident to really talk about it but i can't imagine just like some drunken disorder situation you know pops up and there's like yep taking the kids, unless they use that as an excuse for something much bigger, because a serious incident, obviously, you know, it could include 
you know, potentially getting rid of one of your children. Yeah, yeah. Well, my heart goes out to those three kids because, wow, like, that's so much to go through mm. in, in less than a year. Seriously. Um, your sister um, going missing. In less than a month. In less than oh a month. Gosh, yeah. yeah, your sister going missing and then being taken from your parents and possibly yeah. undergoing some kind of drunken incident. Um, but I feel like normally when a department comes to remove children from a family, especially I assume they're yeah. younger children, it means that shit's right. about to hit the fan, like something is going on, whether it's right. how they're parenting or there's a case being built up, like you said. Yeah. Well, and just, again, just to reiterate here, like, the Department of Children's Services, like, because I've worked with this very department before, like, they, every time I've asked them about any sort of specific case, they always say, we can't say anything about this case. Like, we can't even acknowledge that a case exists. And so, like, the fact that they are able to talk about this potentially so publicly um, is a little, like, interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think that that is, like, again, screams to me, like, that they're, like there's some Something going on directed at those two, even if it's unfounded at this point, right? Even if there's just enough there for police to suspect them, but not enough to again to to prove it or put them away for it. Like that, like that says that like there's that there are people looking at them and like pushing this in the right direction. So that way, like we're not risking this happening to three more little kids. Yeah, yeah, that's really really sketchy. And I have a question that you might know because you cover crime a lot more than I do as a reporter. Um, you know, say the Theoretically, during this huge search of 1,100 people, if a tip is found, the FBI can't, they don't have to disclose it to the public or to, like, the media, correct? Like, if they find something, they're like, oh, like, oh, shoot, no. this is... yeah. On that, though, that's a great point. Yeah, because at this point, you know, because in terms of an investigative process, like they put out like just enough to like, frankly, like satisfy people like me who like are constantly bugging them about these kinds of things, <laughs> but also enough to like that will help them, you know, get the get what they need, right? So the red truck, that kind of thing, like that is going to you know, hopefully get them enough tips, right? Um, to get this information, but you don't want to put so much out there, you know, that you potentially risk, you know, Don and Candace like buying the first ticket out of freaking Dodge, you know, and. And so like that, like that is like you really want to toe the line there very carefully. And with that being said, too, like uh, oftentimes, um, you know, the family doesn't even really know much more than the, than the media does. You know, mm-hmm. I've covered so many cases where, you know, I'll do a press conference with somebody and ask them a question and they'll and the police will answer it and then go to the, the family member and be like, hey, you know, what do you think about this? And they're like, I don't even know about that until you told me about that. And so it's like, you know, so like that, like sometimes they're just as in the dark as we are. Interesting. And again, these are. This- this is a small town. So, you know, there could have been a townsperson yeah. that went to the FBI or some kind of officer and said, look, mm-hmm. Don and Candace are sketchy as heck. We like, you know, they yeah. live in the middle of nowhere. Like they're weird. Again, I'm not insinuating anything, but I'm just saying that the FBI could have gotten some kind of tip, perhaps. Yeah. Um, and well, they would have yeah. just been like, let's keep it on the DL, you know. And at the end of the day, they could just be loving parents that are a little off or something's yeah. off. But, you know, that's just that's that's a really big red flag. Yeah, huge red flag. And we're not the only ones thinking that way either. Online sleuths run the rampant, pointing the finger at Don and Candace. But to be clear, again, they've never been charged with anything at this point, even to this day. Mm. Any speculation is just that speculation. But the speculation was enough to put in, push investigators to tell the public to calm down with the town gossip, the rumors, and the unfounded accusations. In all, investigators have received thousands Thousands of tips about Summer Wells, and police are issuing public statements saying most of those tips are totally bogus and the results of social media rumors and not actual facts. Yeah, as a reporter, it's really interesting to see those kind of older true crime stories versus the ones that you and I cover nowadays, Mm -hmm. mostly you, because social media can either be a great resource 
or such yeah. a hindrance on these officials yeah. that are trying to investigate. Yeah. And well, yeah. So, and we're going to get to a little bit later on about how this like actually affected this case. So um, hold that thought to you. But by October, <laughs> police say they have found zero evidence that Summer was abducted from her home. And they say this case is so odd because there's absolutely no evidence of any kind that may point to where Summer is. And TBI investigators spell it out pretty plainly in a video that the agency ends up posting to social media. Typically on an Amber Alert and the ones that I've been involved in since I have been over this program, um, within a couple of days, um, we, we have a tip or a lead or have an idea if they've been abducted, if they may be left into the woods. Somebody saw something that leads us um, hopefully to get an answer to where the child went or if they were taken. We're going to have some tip or lead. And that's the frustrating part for law enforcement in this case and for the public. We will continue to investigate and search for Summer um, in the public side. There may not be as me much media attention um, given to this case, but that does not mean that we stop what we're doing. Uh, we will continue to use every resource we have um, that we can utilize to try to find Summer. So the TBI made a really good point that they were like, you know, usually when we open such a deep investigation, it's because we received a tip that truly is alarming, you know, and, and we've seen that you and I here in Tennessee. Um, and it is a strange case in the sense that they're going off of one parent's word that the kid is missing and the basement door was open, but they're taking it so seriously, which it is, you know, it has every right to be taken seriously. But, you know, usually I feel like there's certain protocols when it comes to missing and endangered children alerts and things like that. Um, so but but clearly, like something is off, just something feels off about all of this. And like the investigator was saying, too, like like at this point in the investigation, like usually we know something and like kind of what she was talking about, like you like at this point, we really don't know anything like we don't know. Like, we don't have a trace of where Summer went. And so it's like, no. Charlotte, like, like, what happened to her as soon as we walked out the door? It just seemed like she vanished into thin air. And there's so much great technology nowadays. You know, like we talked about social media and the role it plays in investigations nowadays. But on top of that, these investigative teams, they have phenomenal technology that can really help uncover a lot of things that they couldn't cover back, you know, way back in the day. Um, you'd think they would find something just yeah. a little something <sighs> yeah well the tbi posts this you know really in-depth series of blog posts and updates on its website talking about summer's case and yes we are going to link that to to that on our website and in our show notes too and one of those updates, the TBI has this list of frequently asked questions. And in one of those updates, the agency says that it's possible that Summer wandered off into the woods and became lost in the mountainous and rough terrain surrounding the house. And that is really the assumption they are operating under at this point. They have no other choice. Mm. That same month, the case takes a bit of a strange turn. So, Angela, I hope you have an extra bottle handy because this is where things get Oh, so strange. I'm ready. In October of 2021, Don and Candace create a YouTube page as a way to put out public messages about their daughter's case. Here, Angela, let me play a couple of them for you, if you don't mind. Let's do it. I just wanted to thank everyone for helping to find my daughter. We love and miss her with all our hearts. 
nothing will ever be the same without her. We're so very thankful for your love, prayers, and all that you all do. Just thinking about you all coming together for my daughter brings tears to my eyes. I pray we can save her. Love and prayers to all. Thank you. We just wanted to take a minute to thank everyone who's helping us to try and find our daughter. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Thanks for the prayers and the love. Love overcomes a lot of evil and hate and stuff, so thank you. Uh, it's so important. Thank you. God bless y'all. Um, the billboards and everything that y'all put up for us, for, well, not for us, but for our daughter's sake. Thank you. God bless y'all. We hope and pray to God that we can find our daughter. We can't thank you enough. There's nothing we can do to thank you all enough, but just, but just to thank you and praise our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, I feel like a lot of people, when they hop on the internet and see these kind of videos, they really judge by how the person is talking, how the person is looking, like everyone thinks they're a psychologist of some sorts, and they try to make their own assumptions, which I really do try to avoid because everyone has a different story, background, you know, all that jazz. Um, but I will say, I just think it's, I just think it seemed like they're, I, I okay, tell me if I should take this out, but um, I, this kind of almost reminds me of the case of Kaylee and Casey mm -hmm. in Florida, yep, where that's where exactly where my mind, where, my where, mind where you know like Casey yep. put out her statements, but everyone was watching, going, "That's yeah. so ingenuine. That's yep. so ingenuine," because there wasn't any emotion behind it. But again, I don't want to jump to conclusions. It could mm -hmm. just be how they're raised in their background, and you know, yeah. Well, and like to your point, like everyone copes differently. Like sure, but like the like they. And at this point, like the like the rumors were running rampant around town, like across the country, and so like these videos did not do them any like justice at all in terms of like if again assuming that we you know we don't know exactly what happened, assuming that they're totally innocent, right? Like we have to assume that they're totally innocent, like. That to me does not scream innocent mom and dad at all. And so, like again, like I'd say that all, all that to say, like if if you like like why do you think that helps you at all? Like I like you would think that if you're gonna make a mm. YouTube channel to like cry out for help, like cry out for help, like you're saying like this bring like you know all the all the love and support it brings tears to my eyes. But like you sound like the most monotone man on the face of the planet. Like there are no tears in your eyes. It doesn't look like you sound you cried a day in your life. Yeah, it just didn't seem very genuine. And, you know, I totally understand that maybe his anxiety was a little high and sure, he was like, yeah. holy cow, the whole country thinks I killed my daughter. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and I can understand why you want to, you, you're like, whatever I do or don't do, like the internet's going to scour me. Um, but again, sure, at the fair. same time, I, I just don't understand the point of putting out a video when you very clearly aren't helping create Right. I guess a case for yourself in the sense of uh, that you're innocent. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's, I that's exactly yeah, yeah. what I was trying to say. Yeah, that's exactly what I was trying to say. Like this doesn't help you. Like this only like I'm sure only puts more. I mean, for doing my research, like this only put more doubt on you. Like looking at this because I'm like you don't seem like especially Candace. Like didn't say a word. Like she was just like looking like like standing there 
like staring like she was in the second video and so i just don't i don't so understand like what like what was the point of putting this out here i don't get it i don't it doesn't make any sense to me i feel like when you watch a lot of these true crime stories and you find out who did it it was you know when, whenever you see the state the uh person that did do it you find out who it was and then you watch back whenever they made media appearances or right. posted videos they were always very ingenuine statements. Mm-hmm. That's a very common theme, which yeah. is a sad theme, but it is a common theme. And like his eyes, like like both of them, like looked like they weren't really even like looking at anything. Like they were just so totally glossed over. It just gives you that gut feeling of like this isn't good, you know. Well, you know, something else happens this month too, Angela, in the Wells household. So let's go there too. You know, that month in October, Don Wells is arrested on a DUI charge. Now, Don has a pretty decent criminal history. He was arrested previously for possession of a firearm while intoxicated, and he's actually on parole at the time. So this is like an obvious violation of that parole. So when he shows up to court in November, he's arrested for violating the term of his probation okay and that does not at all help his case with the whole internet just going after him already right well and like to be clear like you know this like these like crimes like don't necessarily like point to someone who's capable of murdering their daughter like okay like sure if there was like assault charges or like you know like you know serious crimes like that that like you know attempted murder that kind of thing and then all of a sudden like you know like his daughter goes missing like that i feel like is an obvious move but like dui does not equal murderer you know what I mean? And so, no, like, yeah. So, like, keep that in mind. But, like, still, like, w- like what you said, like, doesn't in terms of the public think, like, thinking about the, you the way that they're thinking about you, that doesn't help. No, it does not help at all. And it's just, I just, I don't know. Like, if, if you're Don's wife as well, like, why would you let your husband drive under the influence while on? parole i don't know just a lot of this doesn't make sense well and so to be clear like i don't i don't think i don't believe they're married there they have two different last names so um i'll just put that out there too um but i also like they have a very interesting relationship background and we're going to get there too so hold that thought drink that wine we have a lot to get to. I was going to say, I feel like I don't have enough wine for how many times you've said, hold that thought. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. There are a lot of thoughts because we're building to something, Angela. We are definitely building to something. <laughs> well, you know, I have to say, you know, this detail is pretty off point. And normally I don't bring up these kinds of details and in investigations about like these, you know, er- erroneous charges um, because like who really cares? Like the whole point of this podcast is to help solve murders and missing people cases and other crimes, you know, not to embarrass their families or what have you, especially people who may or may not even have anything to do with this, probably are just victims in all of this. But this detail does get brought up again, and I think it's actually really important. So that's why I'm bringing up here. But again, Angela, hold that thought. (laughs) That same day that Don is arrested in court, WJHL, the ABC and CBS affiliate in Johnson City, Tennessee, reports that they discovered that a gag order has been issued for the DCS case involving Don and Candace's other kids. Okay, for those of us that aren't super crime junkies, a gag order. Explain that a little more for us. Yeah, so you'll remember from episode one, um, we we talked about gag orders there. So um, that was the Ray Rivera case. Um, We talked about gag orders in the sense of, you know, issuing them privately. So this was um, a situation, um, episode one, where the boss of a, co- um, of a company issued a gag order to its employees about that case. Go listen to episode one. We, we explained all that, you know, pretty extensively. Um, but, you know, so in this case scenario, we're talking about a public entity, which 
changes things just a little bit, but it basically says that you can't talk about this case publicly or to anybody. Like, and if we find out that you talk about this to anybody, like that's a whole lawsuit waiting to happen. And oh, so, um, yeah. So the DC. So, but again, like I'm puzzling, like the DCS case that that like that's what the gag order is placed onto because again like what like what we just talked about like dcs cases are not public record any way shape or form like because they're children like they're very much so kept hush hush like we don't talk about this sometimes not even the families know what happened to these kids or these cases so the fact that they felt like a gag order was necessary i side eye that big time yeah this is so weird and again all these decisions are being made and we're not getting any explanation as to mm-hmm. why these things are happening. Yeah. So this is just so interesting. Well, and I have to imagine that the TBI is behind the scenes, you know, again, knowing a lot more than what we know at this point. I mean, obviously they do, but like, you know, knowing a whole lot more than what we know or what we could even like, you know, um, begin to hypothesize is happening in this case. Um, and again, the fact that they got DCS involved, going back to the point I had, I said before, like, like we, like, what's the point of doing that unless you are afraid of things like out that could affect another part of this investigation and right so exactly that to me says that somehow these boys um you know somehow their relationship with their parents them potentially because i heard a couple theories about you know their you know situation you know th- somehow you're afraid about whatever's in that file leaking out and potentially harming your investigation in some way shape or form until you can prove that or what you think happened yes and i feel like besides the biggest question of where is summer and what happened the second b- biggest question is why did you take the other three kids yeah. like why and then that's the one question that they say no nothing yeah <sighs> Man, yeah, I, it just, it just, again, just letting the rumors run rampant. And I know they said that they don't want them, you know, out there, but like, I mean, you're just feeding them at this point, you know, it's, it's almost right. like feeding them with air, you know what I mean? Cause it's like, you're not really giving them anything, but like, because you're not giving them anything, it's just like letting it grow, grow, grow and grow. So man, you know, I don't know. Well, and, and again, like we're, we're in a generation where social media is a thing. We're mm-hmm. travels fast. Like I see crime, true crime on like, TikToks, you know, yeah, like people that so aren't true. even reporters talking yeah. about this. And, well, and, and you then, have to nip it in the butt at some point, right? Right. And this decision seems very much like, okay, more theories are going to fly, more yeah. false hints are going to be given so or tips, you know, and it just, I, I don't understand the reasoning, but we're also not the TBI. Yeah. Well, and it's, yeah, so true, but it's also, you know, really complicated too, because I'm sure that like the answer probably does satisfy some sort of question, you know, and maybe it doesn't have anything to, maybe the information doesn't affect the case at all, but, you know, but the, the, you know, the reality of the situation is that the, like the children are involved at this point. Right. And so you can't just like talk, you know, air all their, uh, all their, like everything in their lives out there because there you have you have to like there are laws that protect children like very vehemently and so that's yeah. you know i'm sure it's a very difficult teeter-totter because maybe they do want to answer these questions but they simply can't because you're putting these kids you know safety and privacy at risk Jeez, that's just and and you wonder too about why the kids were taken was it one they thought they were in danger with the parents or two did they think they had a lead on the outside person that took summer and that person can strike again. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, there's so many different mm-hmm. ways to think about that. Yeah, and there are a lot. There are a lot of layers here, and um, there's a layer that you touched on just now. But again, 
hold that thought. Um, because we're, we need a we drinking need game for every time you say hold that thought. Uh, you do need a, you need a drinking <laughs> game. Hey, you know what? Let's start the Crime of One drinking game right now. Like, let's okay, every that. time Liam says hold that thought, you if you're listening, you must take a sip of you your must wine. Take a sip. Okay, let's do that. That's a new rule. You didn't. You heard it here first. Angela Kim made that rule. Love that. She's great <laughs> So that same month, while Don is awaiting trial, Summer's mother and father end up going to the Dr. Phil show with the hopes to extend their reach. Now, this isn't totally out of left field at this point. Summer's mysterious disappearance is a national headline, like we were, ta- like what we were talking about, Angela. Now, I really wish I could play this whole interview for you, Angela. I can't. I simply can't. But <laughs> because I truly, honestly, have no idea what to make of any of this. But I'll give you the highlights. How about that? Okay. Dr. Phil ends up hiring a couple of body language experts to analyze Don and Candace in an interview, and they both sit down for those interviews. Now, remember, at this point, online speculation about the couple was absolutely out there in left field. And so... They start asking all sorts of questions, what their relationship was like, what their home life was like, and even more about their boys who haven't lived with Don or Candace for three months at this point. Jeez. And Don says that the boys not living with them ended up being a bit of a blessing in disguise. What? Because the social media attention got out of hand, leading to some threats from people who were convinced that they had something to do with Summer's disappearance. So Don said on the show that he was actually glad that they weren't living there at the time so they didn't have to be put in harm's way that way makes a certain amount of sense okay okay yeah i jumped to conclusions but that makes sense yeah but we still don't know why they were actually taken away so let's keep that in mind true so this is when don and candace both start take talking about their past criminal histories and don says that they have not always had the most perfect marriage no actually candace called the police on don in 2020 for domestic assault oh there aren't a ton of details about the situation out there but candace did end up filing an order of protection against him but later candace asks for that order to be dismissed and the charge against Don were dropped two months before Summer ended up going missing. Interesting. Interesting. You know, I feel like domestic assault is such a tricky topic, and I don't even want to, you know, like, delve into that too hard, because it could be the woman, it could be the man, you never know. Um, But it sounds like either way, that's not a very healthy family overall. It sounds like these Mm -hmm. kids were not living with parents that were... Yeah. You know, looking out for them. Yeah. And again, let's get to like the other part of this, that the other part of this Dr. Phil interview. Hold that, that thought. <laughs> well, well, that will support that theory, Angela. Okay. So, you know, again, I don't usually bring this kind of stuff up, but I do think it's relevant later. So again, hold that thought. And drink. So those experts start to really press on the couple, specifically on Candace. And the reason why they say they're doing this, frankly, is shocking. The experts say that they don't necessarily believe, based on the couple's body language, that Don and Candace had anything to do with Summer's disappearance directly. But they do feel as though Candace knows more than what she's letting on. And that leads the analysts to start prodding more and more. They start asking Don and Candace about past run-ins with the law. And so they have a hunch about this based on their experience and their like legal expertise here. And they start asking about an organization organization that is called the Cornbread Mafia. Okay, out of context, I love that name, the Cornbread yeah. Mafia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, man, I just that uh, 
Listen, I'll never, I'll never get over living in Tennessee, but like, <laughs> this is really like, that's really it. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, I mean, like Tennessee that. has the biggest cornbread festival in the world, so of course we have a cornbread mafia. I didn't know that, but like, I guess so. Um, okay. Well, so let me tell you all about this cornbread mafia, okay, Angela. Please. So the cornbread mafia <laughs> is this shadowy kind of crime organization. They are based in Kentucky, but now they are predominant pretty much throughout the the southeastern United States, specifically along the I-75 corridor through Georgia. The mafia was first known to be publicized in 1989 when 70 Kentucky farmers were busted on a network of 30 farms for carrying what law enforcement said to be 200 tons of weed, according to Cornbread Hemp. Whatever that means. <laughs> the organization continued and grew throughout the years, and now they are not only known for moving drugs, but also could be involved in human trafficking operations, according to Dr. Phil's expert. Why do Don and Candace, with three children, four children, have connections with a drug dealing mafia? Well, and to be clear, like they're not, like they never allegedly like, confirmed that they have this. Yeah, on the show, they claim to know nothing about this organization whatsoever. Um, but it's still kind of interesting that they made that the experts made this connection. Yeah, because like like what like how like how why like if if they do like again like you said like how do they have this connection to this yeah. organization yeah like it seems so again left field like <laughs> where the heck did this come from because because you know don't get me wrong like dr phil like i get it, it's like a produced show like and dr phil is a character yeah. himself um but when you bring in experts to analyze people and mm-hmm. they are picking up on stuff yeah it's just uh, that's so interesting and especially for this child's parents you know what i mean like that is like such a huge like again red flag red like, flag the biggest one ever yeah huge red flag because again like we're like and every other story when when the when the except for episode six of this podcast the mariah woods case you know like the child goes missing and you're supposed to like be like you know like you know caring for the family like sympathizing for them and so like the fact that that kind of turned into these experts saying like no like we think that they like know something about this and like you know potentially have these connections to people who may be involved or at least and and they're not saying everything about it yeah like man and we have to remember if you didn't watch the video if you just like heard it on the podcast but if you if you watch it either way like you know candace never talks in that second video with don mm-hmm. it's just don the whole yeah. time and candace is just staring at the camera with saying nothing yeah because even in this dr phil interview which we're also going to link to on our on in our show notes and on our website um you know she gives like very short like one word answer kind of situations and so I'm like, like, it's, it's, seems very, it's very stoic. It's, and maybe she just isn't good on camera. Like, maybe she's much, like, much more, you know, empathetic, you know, at home, like when she's like surrounded by loved ones and like it's showing a lot more, um, you know, a lot more emotion than she does on camera because that can really change things for somebody. Um, but Uh, like you said, like it just, it just gives weird vibes. Yeah. Especially now that they're pointing fingers at her. And and I'm not a mother, but I feel like for every mother that I have interviewed when it comes to their child being in danger in some sort of way, and I don't know about you, Liam... 
But those moms, like, they don't get necessarily emotional every time. But you can just, like, you can feel it when you interview them that it it affects them. And I didn't get that from the YouTube video with Candace. No. No. And, again, like, everyone grieves differently. Like, this is clearly, like, a very hardened part of the country. Like, keep that in mind. Like, like I, like, she's, she's not your average, you know, perky mom like let's like yes put that in that yes perspective. yes and 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 you know you know not to you know bring up anything too controversial but in these kind of rural parts of the southeast you know it's it's hard for these people to go on national news outlets local mm-hmm. news outlets and feel like they can trust the people that are covering yeah. them and that they're not going to twist what they're True. saying Fair. um again that's a whole different topic but that being said i could also understand if don and candace's guards are up a little bit yeah when they're trying to get the word out about summer you know yeah well and especially to that point too like at this point like seeing it from their perspective like the the uh, the amount of speculation that's that surrounds them like just from people online right like i'm sure that their guards are up a little bit yeah. to a certain extent because maybe at first they were you know they were you know very hysterical and now freaking podcasters like us you know ripping them apart at a, you know or, or you know share like looking at their every single angle um you know tr- like really combing through their behavior with a fine-tooth comb um and you know may and uh, you know have all this like rumors spread about them that they maybe know aren't true or you know so um yeah but again again like you said at the end of the day like they're just not helping themselves you know what i mean like they're just almost submitting more evidence in a sense whether it's good or bad i don't know well, yeah, and like to that point too. Like, so we go, so I go back, um, too, because I know I've been referencing a lot of like, um, you know, past episodes, but episode twelve, Darlie Routier, you know, I like the silly string, um, ep- uh, video. I don't know if you've seen this, but like, it's it's like that is like to me, like you know, because she is like the most like feminine, like a, like acute, you know, mother, um, you know, at least on the surface, and so then she has this silly string video that is just like so bonkers out of left field that like nobody would do, and so like again like you like like so maybe people just cope differently you know so it's like it's like you can't apply the same set of rules to everybody i guess is what i'm trying to say there right right yes absolutely everyone's different everyone has a different background and you just never know where Mm -hmm. someone's head is at and what their background kind of i guess leads them to when it comes to that mentality um but that being said you're on the Dr. Phil show. You're having body language experts. So mm-hmm. people that experience many right. different types of people saying this is fishy. Something is up. Yeah. Well, and people who should be looking at you very objectively, right? From a, from a purely investigative, right. scientific, psychological They are, they are literally trained to look at you in an unbiased yeah. fashion. So that yeah, is... Yeah, it's not just Liam giving you the side eye at this point. It's the investigators, it's the experts giving you the side eye at this point. Yes. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Well, so these questions were clearly too much for Candace to handle. She ends up walking out of the interview with Dr. Phil's experts, and that did not help the rampant social media rumors either. The theories went flying that Candace must have been involved with the so-called cornbread mafia at some point in her past and that was why she walked off because she knew that they must have been involved in some way. But Candace says she walked off because the thought of her daughter being caught up in that was just too much for her to handle because she said it just sounded so awful. But even after she explains herself the analysts insist that Candace is not being entirely truthful with them. They say they don't think they had anything to do with Summer's disappearance again 
like we said, but they believe Candace specifically knows something that she's just not saying. And again, these are unbiased experts giving their opinion from their analysis, from their, I guess, data almost. Um, but that is just, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, that's just, I get a mother getting upset at like impersonal questions, yeah. walking off. But uh, I don't know. I, I have a weird gut feeling, Liam. Yeah, I do. Me too. And, you know, again, she says that she doesn't have anything to hide. In that interview, she says, nope, I, I'm not. I'm telling you everything I know. Like, I don't know what else you want me to, what you want from me, you know, but I don't know. I just I just feel like I always lean more on the scientists at this point, you know, to 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 tell me, you know, like what what is actual human behavior and if that's true, if she's really not saying everything, like, why isn't she saying everything? Like, you would think that you would show, like, such a, such a, you know, a certain amount of body language that, you know, there's no question that you're saying everything to help, you know, find your daughter. And these people are saying, no, like, you're, you're holding something, you're hiding something, right. and we want to know what it is. So again, okay, so Don and Candace, mostly Candace, they're getting grilled by these experts, but like, do they have a mm-hmm. chance to kind of say their own theory, like what they think happened to Summer, like what they actually theorize happened? Because we haven't heard that yet, have we? No, we really haven't. They said, again, they said from the beginning that that, sh- that they think that she was kidnapped. Um, but they do actually end up saying what they think happened right on Dr. Phil. Don says that he thinks it was a former employee of his. Don manages for a construction company. And the day before Summer went missing, he says that he fired this guy for coming to work high on meth. Don says he can't prove it, but he's so sure that this guy had something to do with his daughter's disappearance. Okay, that's a that's a pretty solid theory, but sure. in my opinion, and I don't know because I've never done meth, just saying that, you know, on the podcast, never done meth. <laughs> um, but if someone who has done meth, who is on drugs, there's no way when you're on drugs you could kidnap a five-year-old and not leave any evidence behind in a rural area full of brush. Like, am, am I making that up? Am I being naive or, you know? No, I don't think so. But I also think, too, if you kind of relate it back to the Cornbread Mafia, you know, so like maybe like both can be true. Like what like Don and Candace are saying and what the investigators are saying and that like, you know, like maybe like the Cornbread Mafia, like maybe this guy, this fired employee, like does have something to, to do with the Cornbread Mafia. And like this was like their retaliation against it. Ooh. And so like maybe they did know a little bit more about about what was going on, but, like, didn't say it fully 100% because, like, maybe they didn't want to believe it almost. Yeah. Um. So it kind of, maybe it's, like, it's, like, kind of a situation where, like, both can be true. Yeah, yeah, I could totally see that. Again, small town, like, you know, like, everyone knows mm-hmm. everyone, and small yeah. towns have secrets. Um. Oh, sure do. Uh, that's so interesting, though. I, that's a great theory, and I'm kind of scared to Google Cornbread Mafia because I feel like the Cornbread Mafia <laughs> will, like, find my search history and come track me yeah. down. They're going to try to recruit <laughs> you. So true. Well, Angela, like, this story is odd for so many reasons, as you've already seen, but I have to say it only gets more odd. So buckle up because we have so much more to talk about here. <laughs> I'm so ready. 
By the beginning of 2022, Don ends up going to jail to serve time for violating his probation. He ends up serving about six months total. By March of that year, the Hawkins County Sheriff suddenly issues a public statement asking for more help from the public because they say Don and Candace are no longer being fully cooperative with their investigation. Interesting. So it goes from a lot of volunteers, a lot of tips to gag order on the three children to... They want more help from the public, but at the same time, there's all these social media tips that are not useful. This is yeah. this this case is a hot mess. It's it's it really is a hot mess though, seriously, <laughs> because it's like because like think about like the thousands of people who wrote in and it's like you're just reading something crazy off Facebook and like you decide to write it in and it's like that's like that's unhelping, like it's really stalling things. But as far as Don and Candace go, like, so first of all, Candace says that this is totally BS. Like, they've been helping the whole time. Like, they totally deny. Like, they don't know why they say this, but the sheriff's office says they do. So I don't know if this is something along the lines of, like, maybe they start asking more regard in regarding this to this um to this uh Dr. Phil interview. And there's, like, I don't know what the heck you're talking about. And they take that as not being fully cooperative. But, yeah, it's just, it just seems... It seems like a very, again, again, it's just another step along the way where we're just like certainly led to believe that they have their eyes on Don and Candace in some way, shape or form. Yeah, there's some kind of beef right there. Yeah, there's some kind of beef. Well, so by June of that year, as the first anniversary of Summer's disappearance looms, investigators say they feel no closer to finding her than they did a year ago. They say all of this despite thousands of hours worked, numerous search warrants executed, almost 200 interviews conducted, and more than 2,000 tips received. But those tips, investigators said, were doing more harm than good, like we were talking about in most cases. The tips came from bogus misleading and unsubstantiated substantiated claims online, and the TBI said these bad tips have had a, quote, major impact on the investigation. Yeah, you did mention that earlier, and we have seen that in real time, too, as reporters. You know, bad tips can really deter an investigation, and it can also distract report, distract, mm-hmm. uh, distract investigators from following a trail in a timely fashion. Right. So that's really interesting. Well, yeah, and because it's kind of pissing me off, frankly, because it's like, you, you like people who are writing this in like, are clearly, because at this point, like, again, social media rumors are running rampant. And so it just seems to me like, like these people who are writing into this stuff, like are more interested in proving themselves right, proving their theories right, than actually finding the truth. And so that's kind of the, the problem that we're having here. But also, too, on that front, like we're talking about, like, from an investigative standpoint, like where like it, it's really hard because you get these tips and you have, especially when you're at the point where you, again, where they said they don't feel like they're any closer than they were a year ago. Like you're, you have, like you get to a point where you get one of these tips and you have to follow through on, on it. You know what I mean? Like, cause, cause what else do you yeah. do? So yeah. So I mean, it, like the, like the social media crap like really pisses me off because again, like all we should it care does. about is finding summer. Right. Right. And again, it's, it comes from a lot of people that think they know more yeah. than they do think they're and they're caring. making theories. Yeah. 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 Right. Mm-hmm. Think, think yep. they're being helpful. Think they're caring, but they're really not. So PSA to all of you listening. Yeah. Stop it. Hey, <laughs> stop it. Cut it out. Stop it. <laughs> no, but but in all seriousness, though, um, it, it is really sad, too, because it's just kind of like, where is that fine balance mm. of, you know, back yeah. in like the 70s, the 60s, even, you know, the 90s and 80s? Um there were there wasn't social media, yeah. but it was much harder to find these so criminals because yeah. of the lack of evidence and like I guess like citizens. Yeah. But now it's like it's 
too much. It's oversaturated. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's where's that fine balance yeah. for us? Well, and like kind of like a blessing and a curse too, right? Because because so, like you were talking about before, like social media can help you track down leads, can help you find new people, like can help you track locations and that kind of thing. But in this case, it's just total BS, right? Because you're because people are just posting whatever the heck they want, whatever they think is happening, making crap up probably. And right. people are falling for it. And I can also see, too, how if I'm someone who who cares about this young girl, even if I never met her before, like I just like this, like the story just touches me for whatever reason. I see this tip on social media and I want to send it to police because I want to help. But obviously, it's not really doing what you think it's doing. So that kind of, you know, is is is, you know, take that what it is. But then from the investigative standpoint, too, like they literally had to say, you know, stop send like if 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 you get a tip and you send it, if we see a tip, if, if you send in a tip that came from social media in any way shape or form like we're not even going to read it like we're just going to throw her in the trash like that's how bad it got wow that that's just and again we've heard of true crime stories where you get a tip it seems like nothing and it's mm-hmm. everything which is so be. sad because they're getting so many tips it's it's how do you narrow that yeah, down yeah right well and you have to, especially in this small part of the country right like right. like i'm sure they don't have they don't have investigators at their disposal you know so like you have to you have to take resources like sure they're getting help from the TBI FBI like other agencies like like sure but like you like you still have to prioritize um you know resources that way you can't just follow up on every you know, Facebook posts that may or may not be true. Yeah. And so I guess all we know is that there's a possible cornbread mafia and they possibly drive a red Toyota pickup truck. But we don't even know well, that. And we don't even know about the cornbread mafia. Yeah, so true. We really, yeah, we really don't know anything. So in August, <laughs> you know, Don was, re- you know, continuing to serve time in jail and he makes this public plea from behind bars, you know, still grasping at straws, just like we are at this point, Angela. He writes a letter addressed directly to his daughter, Summer. And Angela, I'm hoping that you're going to be able to read this for us. Okay, you put this at the <laughs> at the second half of the podcast when we're several glasses of wine in, but I will <laughs> read it. Best. Do your best. <laughs> okay, this is the letter. Dear Summer, I don't know if there's even the remotest chance of you ever seeing this letter, but I'm going to write it hoping you will. First of all, I want you to know that I love you with all my heart. I've never missed someone as much as I miss you. My heart aches constantly, and then the thought of someone mistreating you puts so much anguish and fear for you that I can barely breathe at times. I beg God for your life and break out in tears constantly. I'm very glad I got to spend five years with you, but now my life feels like snow rain and drizzle never ending you are the highlight of my entire miserable existence on this earth i love you summer with every fiber of my being sweetheart i love you and i will never give up on you and one day i will see you again always and forever your earthly dad father i almost cried reading that that's really sad you know jeez yeah uh, yeah it is that's I mean, really it, sad it does feel like he like pours like everything he has into this letter right and so that yeah kinda, that does kind of hurt i guess a little bit i guess i'm wondering like what it, but i am kind of wondering like what his purpose is in in sending this out like to the for the world to see like maybe it is for him to just kind of start saying you know stop thinking about me like start thinking about summer like this is what i really feel about this whole situation so yeah yeah Jeez, I mean the the you are the highlight of my entire miserable existence on this earth. Like, 
oh, okay. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I get the vibes that perhaps Dawn didn't have the best upbringing or the yeah, best life so growing true. up. Um, and, it, and it really seems like, you know, when Summer went missing, things, I wouldn't say hit rock bottom. I don't mm. want to jump to presumptions. Um, but it yeah. sounds like he didn't handle it very well. Mm-mm. And it sounds like he didn't know how to cope with those emotions. Um, and... I don't know, like, maybe Dawn has a sneaking suspicion or knows that Candace... I don't know. I don't yeah. want... I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it could come from so many different yeah. <laughs> things. Well, and, like, so so the thought of someone mistreating you, that's, like, the first time that I heard of, like, the possibility of her, like, being held captive somewhere. And so yeah. that is really interesting that that's where his brain goes. But I could also see from a parent's perspective, like, the like going to the worst possible case scenario. And, like, that is just simply what keeps you up at night. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know when he says... I will never, the last line gets to me, like, I will never give up on you, Mm -hmm. and one day I will see you again. Like, I feel like he presumes she's dead, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's presumptuous, but. maybe, but also, like, we don't freaking know. Like, we don't, like, like we said, look, we don't know anything more than what we knew on June 15th, 2021. Like, we're in May of 2023 at this point. Like, we simply don't know anything more. And so, like, like, we're in the, in this point of the story, like, we're at August of 2022. And so we really just don't know. We we have no idea what happened this summer. We have absolutely no idea. So, like, no, anything's possible. Anything. And again, there's no, like you said, there's no updates. Like, usually within a year, you know, okay, we know she was kidnapped. She know this happened, but there's nothing confirmed. Well, and like, and that's also, so weird. And also, too, in these kind of cold cases, well, and so actually, let me rephrase that because, like, the TBI does not say this is a cold case. They say that they are still actively looking for a summer, um, even to this day. And so, for these kinds of cases, right, once they get to a point where they feel like they, they're stalling and they haven't really gotten, you know, a whole lot of more infor- like information or, or you know, uh, evidence, they'll put out, like, just a little, again, kind of what we were talking about before, like, just a little bit of evidence, just enough evidence to, you know, try to get people to call in and try to get more tips that way. Um, and they haven't done that. They really like, honestly, like ever since that red truck, we have not heard from, from investigators. And I can only imagine that's probably because they don't have anything for us to share. And, and like you said, like we said, actually they, they said flat out that they don't feel any closer to finding Summer than they did the day that she went missing. I mean, with how secreted the TBI has been and just all these investigative bureaus have been. I feel like the Cornbread Mafia could be real because I feel Possibly. like on the TV shows, at least, yeah. whenever you see a mafia or whatever involved in a case, like, you know, these agencies just shut down and they're yeah. like, okay, like, handle it under the water. Like, yeah. we're going to be subtle. I don't know. The wine's kicking in, but... <laughs> <laughs> we're we're just, solving like this thing. <laughs> we're solving this thing with a bottle of broken yeah. Anchorage wine. Yeah. Um, no, but I just feel like whenever there's something secretive from an agency, it's because there's a much bigger power that yeah. the public is, is a danger for the public to mm. know about, you know? It's possible. Yeah, I mean, <sighs> and especially you don't want to, like, you know, because um, I think you might have mentioned this, like, there's a bigger fish to fry, right? And so maybe right. that's possible. It's possible. So Yeah, but I, I just want to know. So, okay, so... Don sends out this letter. He's here. He seems heartfelt. 
But like, what is Candace doing this whole time? Well, all while Don is serving time in jail, Candace apparently is admitted to the hospital on at least four different occasions for heart problems. And when Don is eventually released from jail in late 2022, he speaks with a reporter from WJHL and says something really interesting. He continues to plead for help from the public and offers some updates into the case, continuing to insist that someone abducted their little girl a year and a half ago. But he also says that he still hasn't seen his boys since they were taken from him and his wife in July of 2021. He says he has not been allowed to communicate with any of his three older boys, and neither has his wife since he was released from jail. But he says while he was in jail, Candace was allowed to speak with them periodically why what i thought okay okay wait it seems like from the dr phil show candace is the more fishy one to look at because they didn't really look at dawn right right so that's why that's where my brain at this point just kind of goes to a totally different direction right because the whole point the whole time i've been like thinking about it as like they took the boys because they think that Don and Candace had something to do with Summer's disappearance. Like, that's the theory here. But now that make that fact makes me think from just a, like, from, again, strictly from a, from a, you know, crime reporter's perspective, like, you, like, if, if this is true that Candace was really allowed to speak with them in jail, like, that to me says that the reason they were taken away did in fact had something to do with, like, Don's episodes. Um, you know, because, oh. because that is really the only thing that, you know, like would would make any sort of sense um in that like Don was not allowed to communicate with them whatsoever um but Candace was when Don specifically when Don wasn't around it honestly just sounds like both of these parents I don't know, just have some kind of secret they're not telling or something sketchy is going on, but I think they're like different things. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like I think I don't think Don and Candace are in on this together in any mm-hmm. way, shape, or form. But I think each of them may have some kind of secret. Yeah, I think that they do. Again, I think that they do know something more than what they're saying publicly and probably more than what they're telling investigators at this point. Because, again, they have a very pat- uh, uh, checkered past. And so yeah. like, those type of people probably even when their children are involved, unfortunately, like don't trust police 100%. And so like maybe them saying, you know, you know, too much about what they're involved in, you know, behind the scenes like maybe they think could jeopardize something for them. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's just, it's just so like, I feel like if my mind was in one place, it's going 500 different directions because of how much evidence Mm -hmm. there is. But also, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, my mind is going everywhere because yeah. the theories are just popping up like left yeah. and right. Oh, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> oh, Angela, you look exactly where I was in this point. You look exactly like that. I was like, my hands were on my head. Oh. I was like, what am I even going to say? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Angela, you know, this feels like a really weird place to stop, but it's where we are, honestly, at this point. Summer Wells okay. is still a missing little girl, and the efforts to find her continue, even to this day. There have been several large-scale searches of the property and the surrounding area since Summer seemed to vanish into thin air from her home. And there are several, and I mean several, theories floating around the internet about what may or may not have happened to Summer. Theories ranging from the family having something to do with it, a stranger, a cornbread mafia member, etc., 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 it's not that I don't care about those theories. You all know I love it. No. Girl. But those theories have had enough air, <sighs> enough airtime, 
we're done with those. So instead yes. of giving those theories even more space to run rampant, I asked Ashley for more help. I asked her to give me some more thoughts on some of the key points of this investigation and overall some of her thoughts on the Wells family. And this is what she had to say. I think Summer's brothers being taken by Department of Children's Services or DCS was the right move. It's hard because we don't know what happened to Summer. But we do know that something bad happened while under her parents' supervision or caregivers or Wells family supervision. And perhaps it's unsafe for those boys to have stayed there. I don't know much about where they went once they were taken, meaning if they're in foster families or if they are in an orphanage, if they've been split up, if they're together, I truly don't know. But I do feel strongly that their care and well-being is probably safer in a different caregiver's eyes or watch. I had little to no interaction with Summer's parents, Candace and Don Wells, but it's not because I didn't try. One of the first things I did when I was assigned this story was message Candace the morning, the first day of the search on Facebook, like a lot of reporters do in the world. They start with Facebook, um, found her profile, sent her a message, never heard back. Um, which isn't uncommon or anything because sometimes that just doesn't happen. Um, the most interaction I had with Candace was attending the prayer visuals for summer a month, two months, and more after that, um, at marking the date of her disappearance. And, uh, she would attend, uh, before the, boys were taken into DCS custody. A couple of them attended. Um, you know, Candace never really had a lot of emotion. She never showed, she, she was never weeping or filled with tears at any of these prayer vigils. When asked there if she would like to do an interview, she would decline. Um, she, she didn't, sometimes it seemed as if she didn't really have any emotion, uh, as if she was just there. It was always odd to me. It was odd that she, I think everyone mourns the loss of a child, whether dead or missing, differently. But I think to have such little emotion from her mom was very odd. What else was always interesting was the way in which she and the boys were dressed. I wouldn't describe Candace looking like a typical mom. Her hair was short, no makeup, often in t-shirts and baggy clothes. It, it often looked like she was wearing gym clothes, perhaps even male gym clothes. No, no effort in her appearance, though knowing that media would be at these types of events. Now, some people would say that's just who she is. That's who she's always been. 
other people would say that doesn't seem the way someone would typically dress. I think everyone mourns differently. But I think over the two to three times I saw her at these prayer vigils, and she would pray or bow her head during appropriate times. I don't recall her singing songs when there were um, Christian songs being sung. It wasn't disrespectful. It was as if she was there because she had to be there. She knew it would look more poorly if she wasn't. Interestingly, Don never showed to any of these. I only saw Don Wells once. It was in the first week of the search for summer. He pulled up in his pickup truck to the church where journalists were stationed, the media holding area, if you will, where different uh, media briefings would happen. And it was a church about five minutes or so from the Wells family home, maybe five to 10 minutes. And he pulled up, and I don't recall if he was looking to talk with law enforcement or talk with media. I don't think he did talk with media, but it was just a very quick, got out of his truck, talked with someone briefly, got back in and left. Definitely someone who was gruff, both physical in appearance as well as um, just the way he kind of emotionally carried himself. He looked like someone you didn't want to mess with. If I had just seen Candace or Don around town, not knowing who they were, what they were up to, my first impression would be that they were just getting by on what they could and doing what they could to support their family. Sound effect for you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm joining you with that after listening to Ashley talk about that. I need a drink, Liam. Like, I I was really trying to listen and pay attention, but that was just so much information to take in. And and reporters, again, like, we are often taught to be unbiased and Mm -hmm. to not jump to conclusions. And and her information is unbiased, and it's purely, like, gut gut feelings, Mm -hmm. I feel like. And what she saw... And it's just, it sounds like there's just something, something going on there. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I don't even, I don't even really know what to make of any of that. I think that she just like described it very, very well. And it kind of described a lot of like, even though I never like met them in person, like described a lot of like the instincts that I had just from watching their, you know, videos and like, you know, seeing their appearances and their interviews and that kind of thing. Because it just, but it, I, I guess just, like, at the same time, like, I just keep going back to, like, the fact that this is your daughter. And so I just, I guess I just can't fathom, and, like, maybe it just feels numb at some point, like, that you're just going through the motions and just not, like, feeling anything. But I can't imagine losing a child in any way, shape, or form and not just being an absolute wreck, no matter if I'm in public, private, on camera, off camera, regardless. And so... Again, yes. I don't know. It just so so. Ashley just I think described it very very well in that like and so like mate and like she said you know maybe this is just them, but maybe it's just something odd. Maybe it's just something odd. Either way, something feels off. Something feels very yeah. very off because even when you're watching a documentary watching a local news report and you are seeing these parents where maybe they're, you know, a little 
nervous to be on camera, yeah. nervous to be mm-hmm. talking to like news outlets. I don't even know how to describe it, but as like reporters, you like you just it. you yeah. feel it. Yeah. You mm-hmm. feel the emotion, you feel the pain, you feel whatever it might be. Yeah. And from those YouTube videos and also, you know, those descriptions that Ashley just gave, like I just I don't I don't feel it. Yeah. That it, you know. Right. Well, and you would think it's you think at some point that you would feel that. And so yes. like it's just it I guess it just feels odd that like throughout all these situations, like you don't really like like I like I don't feel connected. Like I don't feel myself in them at all. Like I will say throughout in the Dr. Phil interview, there was there were a couple moments where I just like I felt like they like they were giving very um, you know, personable um, sentiments like so I would encourage everyone to go watch the Dr. Phil interview because personally in my opinion like that cha- that changed my thoughts on this case and I'll be, and I'm gonna, gonna be completely honest about that and so I would encourage you we're gonna like I said we're gonna link yeah. that in our, in our uh, um, in our, on our website and in our show notes so go check that out because I really think that's gonna um, that's gonna you know change a lot of things for you but uh, I don't know it just it just does not scream to me that they are are victims entirely in all this. Again, I don't think that they did anything, but I, it just does not scream to me that they don't know anything about what happened. Yeah, I think they know something that went down. I just can't pin my fingers on what exactly went mm. down. And I think that's exactly where the TBI yeah. is at right now, too, where oh, they're yeah. kind of like, something sketchy, but we just we yeah. don't have the evidence to prove it. <sighs> yeah. So, but Liam, you are the crime expert, so oh, I want to know, like, you know, like, because you always have these phenomenal theories. Like, what do you think happened? Well, you know, I love a good theory, Angela. And, you know, I just <laughs> to say, in my humble opinion, you know, I would not call myself <laughs> an expert by any means, but, you know, just from doing the research that I have done in this case, I genuinely do not think that can- that Don and Candace had anything to do with Summer's disappearance at all. Here's what I think happened. I think that Dr., you know, that Dr. Phil's field ana- an, uh, analysis were on, were exactly spot on. I think that Don and, and or Candace got involved with the wrong people, whether it was this mysterious fired employee or the cornbread mafia or not, whether it be through, you know, some, you know, um, some mysterious organization or not, whether it was years ago or more recently, I think those people felt wronged by Don and Candace and or Candace one way or another and did something to summer to potentially get back at them. Yeah. I could totally, totally see that. Um, okay, can I say can I say my theory? Go for it. Okay, here's my theory. I think somehow Candace pissed off the Cornbread Mafia and or was related to them in some way, shape, or form, whether it was like familial ties, she pissed him off, a member of her family pissed him off, something happened. Don had his sneaking suspicions about what was going on. Eventually kind of put two and two together. Couldn't really confirm it. But he was like, okay, my wife's involved with a very sketchy organization in some way, shape, or form. That caused him to start drinking every now and then. And then, essentially, something hit the fan. Something happened with maybe a member of Candace's family, like, you know, like maybe not directly Candace, but a member of Candace's family and the Cornbread Mafia or some kind of sketchy mafia organization of some sort 
I think they were kind of like, screw you, and they did something to Summer. So I think Don and Candace know that it was coordinated and planned, and it wasn't just Summer running away, but I don't think they have, I don't think they have the exact details either, but they're also yeah. afraid to say too much to the TBI at the same time. Yeah, well, that's kind of where I land too a little bit on that last note, because I do feel like they, they I do think that they don't know 100%, because I think at this point, no. they, they would have led them, pushed them in some sort of direction right now. I really don't think that they know, like, the general direction. I think that they know, or at least, at the very least, again, like you said, have some sort of sneaking suspicion of who was involved, but is afraid to say too much. Yes, For yes. whatever reason. 100%. So. But they just, they also just don't know who to trust. I think right. that's the big thing. Yeah. Right. Well, because someone with their kind of past, like, certainly can't trust police. And, you know, someone with their kind of past certainly can't trust, you know, their supposed friends who, you know, may be involved. So, right. Small yeah. town. Yeah, small town. Sure is. So, you know, I just do have to say that, you know, it's really frustrating. We're we're (laughs) at a really frustrating point in this case, because even in May of 2023, it does not feel as though we are any closer to finding Summer than we were two years ago. But I am so confident that someone out there knows something. I just know it, Angela. So if you know anything about Summer Wells' disappearance, call the Hawkins County Sheriff's Office at 423-272-7121 or the TBI at 1-800-TBI-FIND or 1-800-824-3463. You can also email the TBI at tips2tbi at tn.gov. And we're also going to link to all those numbers and emails and our show notes yes but again two notes one do not send false tips we right. were like no no to that nothing on social um, media <laughs> yeah. but two if you have real tips like please send them in yeah, because liam real. and i are like four glasses of wine in and we we're theorizing we're theorizing yeah. <laughs> listen i need to like listen in a couple months i need to do a, a summer wells update and i need to have more information than what i have right now and so i like you know i very much so plan on keeping you know my eye on this case for any sort of developments i know angela will too and so yes. i very much so want to be able to come back to you in a couple of months maybe probably hopefully even sooner but i doubt it's going to be even sooner um and give you guys an update on this case because i want to know and I know, I that, you know. Want, that you all want to know too, but I also, but she deserves it. And so, you know, if, yes. if, you know, her loved ones deserve it, you know, regardless of who's involved, her brother deserve her brothers deserve it. Her parents deserve it. Everyone deserves answers, deserves closure in this case, regardless of what all happened. And, you know, so just, you know, do your part. I know you all know something, you know, someone out there knows something. So just, you know. Do something. Please. <laughs> I'm desperate. We're all desperate. Please. And yeah. she's a freaking, she's, she's a freaking five-year-old. Five she's a five-year-old. Like, come on. Go check us out on social media and go look at the pictures of Summer because she is, I mean, just this precious little girl. I mean, like, once you see the pictures of her, I know you're going to want to be just as angry to find out what happened as we are. She's beautiful. She's yeah. beautiful. She really is. Well, Angela, unfortunately, that is all that we have for you this week. So thank you so (laughs) much for coming on this week and talking with us about this, drinking wine, chit-chatting, catching up, doing the whole gambit. (laughs) 
<laughs> this was so much fun. Please promise you'll have me back on if they find out what happened to Summer. Oh, because... you know I will. When we find out what happened to Summer, <laughs> I certainly will. So, Angela, tell everyone where they can find you and your work online. Yeah, absolutely. So you can follow the Company Lab on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Um, you know, we essentially support startups and excel- and entrepreneurs. We accelerate their growth and make them essentially successful in a 12-week time span. We make sure that they have all the resources they need. So if you're an entrepreneur, please reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. And yeah, just follow along. We're growing a lot and we're supporting small businesses across the world. Thank you again so much for coming on and thank you all so much for listening. We're going to put all of our sources on our website so you can read everything for yourself and probably come up with a few theories too. And if you are enjoying this podcast and are just wondering how you can tell anyone and everyone about it, the best way to help people find this podcast is by leaving us a five-star review wherever you are listening right now. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and we will see you next week for another episode of Crime Over Wine. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.